Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Hi, I'm Captain Kiwi, and I support Gen X Grown Up on Patreon, and you should too. It'll keep the wind in your sails. Just go to genxgrownup.com slash Patreon to show your support. No life, no fun. Don't you know that you're a grown up? Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listeners. This is Backtrack Edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I am John. Joining me as always is Mo. Hey, everybody. And George had damn well better be here. How's That's it going, right. George? How's it going, guys? <laughs> He's leave us at a cliffhanger or something. <laughs> I know, right? So this is part two of the 90s wrestling wars. And I say George has to be here because George is the one who has all of the knowledge about yeah. the wrestling wars. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we ended last time with the key figure years of the Monday Night Wrestling Wars, and honestly, I could have gone on forever. There was <laughs> another 20 people probably, but when you start getting to use names like Terry Bollea and Michael Hickenbottom, you're kind of wrapped up <laughs> at that point. So. Yeah. Well, and each person you could have talked for 20 minutes about, oh, just their interesting backstory of many oh, of those guys, right? Each one of these people can easily be an hour and a half long podcast on really? their own, just oh, on their man. career. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, these are people who, even at this point, have been wrestling for 15 plus years. Jeez. So, yeah, before the formation of these big organizations that are fighting, they, yeah. they came up through the ranks, right? Of course. Yeah, so, you know, it, w- it was there. So it, we could talk about all that stuff, but I think, you know, since we left everybody hanging before we really got to the war, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. I think it's probably time that we get to the war now. Let's do it. That's perfect. Okay. I mentioned earlier how Ted Turner kind of gave carte blanche to Eric Bischoff to do whatever he needed to, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. One of those things that he wanted to do that Ted Turner approved was was to create a new primetime wrestling show to directly compete with the WWF's primetime wrestling show, which was called Monday Night Raw. Okay, I remember that. I remember hearing about that. Yeah, that remember was a hearing deal. about that one? All right. Yeah. So the WCW created their show called Monday Night Nitro. The very first show was September 4th, 1995. It was on TNT. It was a one-hour show at the time. Those shows ended up growing to three hours. Mm, I remember. Wow. Yep, they yep. were and huge events. They got yeah. so long that they would have different announce teams for the different hours. That's how <laughs> crazy these shows Jeez. were in popularity. 
the main reason why this one is important, this date is important because obviously it's the first showing of Monday Night Nitro, but it also did something that hadn't really been done in the wrestling world before. A major star jumped ship from one organization to oh, the other. Ooh. Really? Now that kind of stuff happened before. It's just a matter of time though. It had to happen eventually. It did, but I mean, yeah. wrestlers did move from promotions to promotions. Like I talked about in the territory days, mm-hmm. that was part of the rule set. If you were the champion, you had to go defend the belt in the different territories so that the locals could see the champ, right? That was kind of a thing. Yeah, that's right. When you get more into the TV era of the 80s, though, that happened less and less. People didn't go from one organization to another because there were no compete clauses in their contracts. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, legally, could they do that? They were all independent contractors, so they weren't, they didn't have benefits or anything like that. Still to this day, it's that way. But they didn't jump from organization to organization because if a wrestler was popular, the organization would renew his contract. You know, pretty Mm -hmm. simple. If you're drawing ratings, if you're drawing people to buy tickets to the local events or on TV to draw the ratings, you're going to get to stay with that organization. They're going to give you the same amount or more money than they gave you before. Lex Luger's contract had expired a couple of months earlier. Oh. His no-compete clause ran out. Okay. They didn't think to re-sign him because there's nobody else out there, really. They didn't know Monday Nitro was coming. Mm-hmm. Lex Luger, having previously worked in WCW and in the NWA Georgia Championship Wrestling promotion, had friends and people that he knew there, including people like Sting and Ric Flair and all of those guys who were in the Southern wrestling scene, and they wanted him to come back. And truthfully, he had a popular run up north in WWF. He was very good. But Lex Luger up north was not the same Lex Luger that he was down south. He had a different following, a different character style. And I think he really Mm -hmm. just wanted to come back to his roots. And he did by coming out on that episode on September 4th, 95, as the first major guy to cross from WWF to WCW. It's like an event in and of itself that he was jumping ship and moving over. Oh, boy. I still to this day remember him walking out in his street clothes. He didn't wrestle on the show. He just walked out in his street clothes from the, from the little tunnel that they would have between the fans uh-huh. as you walk out to the ring. Mm-hmm. And he just walked out there and looked at the two guys that were in the ring in the main event. And he just crossed his arms and nodded his head. And the announcers went nuts. Oh my God, that's Lex Luger. And the fans <laughs> were losing their minds because nobody knew it was coming. Yeah. Even with the internet being a thing in 95, it still wasn't anything that people were reporting on because nobody had seen this kind of thing in this way before. Mm-hmm. So that first Monday Nitro, I know the Black Saturday kind is where the Monday Night Wars begin, but this is what kicked off the war. This is like the first shot across the bow. Ah, okay. You set the groundwork with that Black Saturday, but this thing was like, oh, now it's on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This is like, oh, they're coming to fight. And Eric Bischoff has said many times he wanted a war with that company because he believed he could win. He believed he was smart enough to beat Vince McMahon at his own game. Wow. And as long as Ted Turner kept funding it, which he had to, Lex Luger took a big contract to come over. So were both these companies making money? They were. Okay. Throughout the the time period of the mid nineties, these wrestling shows were earning a 5.0 share on average. And for John in the television <laughs> industry, he knows that's huge. That was 10 million viewers tuning yep. in to watch just wrestling on either one of the shows. Wow. At one point, there were some shows that had a 9.5 share. Sometimes on higher home. than that. Right. Crazy. Wow. <laughs> that's why they were making money. Yeah. That's why there were t-shirts. Okay. That's why it's such a big deal. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't in front of my radar. I was aware that it was a big deal. 
deal because it, it, in front it, of it a permeated. lot of people's radar. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, on the heels of the Lex Luger defection, we'll call it, yeah. there was another defection that, in my mind, was even more important because it set the stage of the dirty tactics that were going to be used coming forward. On December 18th of 1995, a wrestler named Alondra Blaze, who was also known mm. as Medusa, was the female world wrestling champion. She was oh, the okay. shit as far as women wrestling is concerned. She wasn't one of the older ladies who would do the hair pulling and everything. This was a true athlete, and she was really good at her job. She was the WWF champion. Contract expired. She came over to WCW one night. Again, another one. Really? Another wow. one. I think they would learn. <laughs> but this time she did something different. She walked up behind the announcers to say she hated the WWF Ooh. and took their championship, their belt, because they hadn't gotten it back from her, and threw it in the trash on national TV. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a huge deal in the wrestling world. You don't trash another organization's property like that and show that kind of disrespect because it not only disrespects the company, but it disrespects all the wrestlers who worked hard for that belt and to promote that belt in the past. Mm -hmm. See, that's, that's the prize. Like, these promotion people, they're brilliant, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I think really set the stage for all the dirty tactics that Eric Bischoff was willing to do and what it forced Vince McMahon Jr., to be willing to do later on. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have that one event, I don't know how dirty and how mean and how enticing these promotions become because that's really <laughs> the truth. People want to watch the train wreck, right? You don't go to NASCAR to watch yeah. 400 laps of right. clean driving. You go to watch the one <laughs> lap of the car blowing up. What's the? I want to see the crazy thing that makes all this other stuff pay off. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, another big point in the wrestling war was the fact that these two shows had a slightly different format in that one was taped usually six days earlier and the other was live. So mm, okay. WWF Raw was taped. WCW Nitro was a live event every time. So no matter where sure. they were at, if they were in Georgia, Florida, wherever their event was, the Monday night show was live at 8 p.m. They started the event an hour earlier with like pre-TV matches and stuff to get the crowd ready and riled up. Mm -hmm. But then mm -hmm. at 8 p.m. that mm. was a live show on the air. So these wrestlers didn't have a chance to mess up. This was all live. It was one of the first times when shows that I can remember for wrestling were done live. Almost all shows were done as taped things before and then okay. edited together. John's a huge editor. Everybody knows he's one of the best out there. And oh. editing... <laughs> <laughs> editing a wrestling show is what gives it its polish, what, you know, makes mm -hmm. it even more appealing to the fans. Doing mm -hmm. one live, John knows that's really tough, right? It's like a stage production. Your coordination of all the people and the logistics and the scenery and the sets and the mics and lights and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the fact that Nitro was live allowed Eric Bischoff to do something that nobody had done before. Again, because Raw was taped, they would know the wrestling results of the different matches and he would give those results away on his show. Oh. Oh, dirty pool. Mm -hmm. oh. oh, so why watch it? You know who's going to win. Exactly. Yeah. That was like, don't watch those people. Just watch mine. So, the ultimate spoiler. Wow. Yeah, he he lived in the spoiler world. Now, WWF tried to fight back a little bit. They had this little segment that they did where it made fun of Ted Turner, Eric Bischoff, and all the people behind the scenes. So there was like a Ted Turner character who was an idiot running things, and there was an Eric Bischoff who was a child. Wow. <laughs> but the USA Network that WWF was on at the time said, we don't like that. That's not our brand. We don't want that on our network, so please stop 
doing these. So they did. Because it's, it's mocking, right? It's, it's making fun of. It's, yeah, and yeah. making fun of personal individuals, not characters, yeah. not, pro- gotcha. you know, not things right. that were on mm-hmm. TV. That was really the flavor of the Monday Night Wars. Those two companies going back and forth at each other, both in front of the camera and behind the scenes to try and one-up each other. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access. You're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. It's unsanctioned. I will attack, attack, attack. Unauthorized. Get that stupid camera out of And unbelievable. He's got to be 15 to 18 feet in the air. You'll never see anything like this. It's World Championship Wrestling. Uncensored. little while later, WCW really started to churn away at the ratings war. They were winning most of the nights on Monday night. They were slightly okay. higher they were most hit. nights over WWF. Hmm. However, WrestleMania 12 came around and there was a huge match in WrestleMania 12. Now you guys know WrestleMania, I'm assuming. You've probably heard the term. I've heard of it, yes. Weren't they like pay-per-view events though, right? They, they were, were pay-per-view big culminations. Events. It was just like the title fights would be there, right? And like you would see two major celebrities that mm-hmm. never fought would fight at these big events. They, they were the like keystone of like mm-hmm. the whole season sort of. It was considered like the Super Bowl of wrestling. Okay. Right? okay. Sure. Each organization, they have their own pay-per-views. Every wrestling promotion at the time had a pay-per-view per month usually. But mm. WrestleMania was the big show. That's the one. And still to this day, WrestleMania is the big show. It draws as many people to its show as any NFL Super Bowl does. It's crazy huge. Wow. Uh, it's now a week-long event with people getting to meet the wrestlers ahead of time. All really? that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh. It's big. Like At WrestleMania 12, there were two wrestlers, one of whom I mentioned earlier, Shawn Michaels, mm-hmm. yeah. wrestled yeah. an Iron Man match with another super popular wrestler of the time, Bret Hart. Okay. And you guys might have heard his name. No, he had really, a brother but, okay. who died in the ring, Owen Hart. That was a huge tragedy during that period where wow. he was doing a character who would come down on a rope from the rafters. Oh, yes. I did hear about that. You remember that now? Oh, yeah. yeah. The mechanism on the rope gave way and he fell all the way to the ring, broke his neck on the ring post. It was horrible mm. and tragic Ooh. during a live Ooh. show, by the way. Yeah. Huge crowd too. Yeah. But these two guys, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, were the two biggest names in the WWF at the time, and they had an Iron Man match. After that Iron Man match, because of their struggle on TV, you know, the two guys going after each other night after night, WWF had two months of rating wins. So that's eight shows where WWF won pretty much every ratings war that was out there. I say that's big because not too long after, in May of 96, two of those other click wrestlers, their contracts nope. had expired. Oh, no. 
<laughs> with the Lex Luger treatment again? Well, yeah. So they went ahead and signed contracts with the WCW group Ooh. because the WWF just felt like they had run their course and didn't have anything for them. Kevin Nash as Diesel and Scott right. Hall as Razor Ramon were leaving WWF going to WCW. Now, I, I say this in retrospect. At the time, no wrestling fans really knew this was happening because this is all behind the scenes. The internet okay. hadn't developed its resources yet, so this wasn't being talked about in a lot of places. Maybe a couple of wrestling newspapers that probably had subscriptions in the tens of thousands at the most, like the Wrestling okay. Observer. But these two guys were getting ready to leave. And as I mentioned earlier, they were friends with Shawn Michaels and Triple H, Paul Levesque. So they formed that group, The Click. Well, in May of 96, they were having a non-televised wrestling event at Madison Square Garden. Non-televised, okay. That's pretty common in wrestling. Yeah. So most events are non-televised in wrestling. You have five or six nights of the week that they do local shows, they call them. And then there's one show that's put on TV the seventh night oh. of the week. Really? Okay. Yep. Okay. Now, as an organization gets bigger, maybe they do two shows a week or something like that. But mostly it's a six and one ratio. Mm-hmm. These guys were at the Madison Square Garden event in 96. The four guys were wrestling a match together, a tag team match. Okay. Two of the guys were faces. Two of the guys were heels. Now, mm-hmm. with kayfabe, if you're a face, you can't be friendly with the heel, right? Right. You can't sure. be seen right. at that the event, character, right? you know, being friends and shaking hands and all that kind of stuff. Even though behind the scenes, you may be best buds, you travel in the car together to go from event to event to event. But mm-hmm. in front of the crowd, in front of the fans, none of that happens. Well, these four guys at the end of their match, they came together in the middle of the ring, hugged and bowed to the crowd. Ooh. <laughs> it's called the curtain call event for that specific what? reason, because people didn't know what was happening at the time. Uh-huh. They figured it out very quickly thereafter because of stuff that happens, you know, as the people move over. The other thing was, like I said, this was a non-televised event, but a bunch of wrestling fans smuggled in video cameras to this event <laughs> and recorded it. And this is in the 90s when smuggling a video camera was not a trivial affair. Yeah, no, it was no. like this big... <laughs> you need a hand truck. <laughs> and as I mentioned, the internet was becoming more prominent in the wrestling world. Well, these fans who smuggled these cameras in put this video out on the internet and people lost their damn minds. When you see two faces being friends with two heels in the ring to close out an event, especially at Madison Square Garden, Which one of the meccas right? of sports events, right? Dogs and cats living together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> why, so why did they do that? Because they were such good friends. That group, the click, they yeah. were so tight. They felt like they could do anything they wanted to. And what they wanted to do in that moment was show each other respect in front of the audience. Mm-hmm. Huh. They didn't care that Vince McMahon Jr. was going to get pissed. They didn't care that the audience was going to lose their minds. They were just four friends who had just had a great match and they wanted mm-hmm. to congratulate each other and say goodbye to two friends who were leaving. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which all makes perfect sense, but... Yeah, but, but not... It, with with the stakes as high as they were, I can see where McMahon would be. That is really screwing things up for me. I mean, it's breaking the illusion. I mean, that's what people pay for, right? People pay for the illusion. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, wrestling is kind of the male version of a soap opera. It's the thing that yeah. men allow themselves to watch, but it's essentially just a soap opera all day long. And, and be emotional mm-hmm. about it and be okay. Yeah. It's good versus <laughs> evil. It's crazy yeah. storylines of people, you know, leaving and changing and coming back and all this ridiculous. Who stole whose girlfriend? Exactly. All that stuff. All that kind of stuff. So when you pay for the illusion and the illusion is broken, it's 
such a catastrophic event that it totally blows everything apart. And the person who got blown apart the most in this was Vince McMahon Jr. Really? His organization just got shown up on the internet, which was becoming bigger and bigger in the wrestling mm-hmm. world at this time. And people now had figured out that two of his main stars were no longer going to be his main stars. Mm-hmm. And that's what brings us to the start of the New World Order. Okay. May 27th, just like a week later, I think it was a week later, a week or two later, because I think Kurt mm-hmm. Call was May 19th. So very close there. Yeah, uh, about a week. There was a WCW Monday Nitro and Scott Hall, one of those four, Razor Ramon, mm-hmm. he shows up on WCW's program live. Mm. He's just in the audience and he's just dressed in his regular clothes. As Razor Ramon, he has an outfit. As you remember from yeah. the 80s and 90s, wrestlers always had these colorful outfits no, sure. that signify yeah, yeah, the they have a, a, It's a uniform. It's, a, it's what they wear. That they're part of their personality. Sergeant Slaughter had camo and stuff. Camo right, yeah. and his hat. Yeah, right. sure. So yep. Scott Hall is just on this WCW Nitro show. Remember, everybody in the world knows him as Razor Ramon. Very few people know his real name. He's mm-hmm. just out there on this show in a jean jacket, t-shirt, and jeans. And he's just standing there pointing at the wrestlers and all this stuff. And the announce team is calling him by his real name, Scott Hall. Oh, no. <laughs> he's like just there as a, as a public citizen. Right. <laughs> and they're saying, what is Scott Hall doing here? He's a WWF wrestler, blah, blah, blah. Well, of course, mm. this is all planned. But <sighs> the way they present it to the audience is like, this is completely unexpected. We had no idea this was coming. <laughs> so these guys are good. And the fans bought it hook, line, and sinker. Let me tell you, I was watching that show uh-huh. and I almost bought it. Had I not had some previous knowledge of Scott Hall's real name from the AWA days, uh-huh. I probably would have bought it hook, line, and sinker just like everybody else. <laughs> so Scott Hall does his appearance. It throws the wrestling world on its ear once again. Vince McMahon Jr. and WWF World has no answer for this because they're not taking popular WCW wrestlers and bringing them over at this moment. It's really only WWF going it's, the other bleeding, way. It sounds like they're just losing talent, aren't they? They are. Now, less than a month later of a couple of these Scott Hall appearances on different Monday Night Nitro shows. One time he's up in the stands. Another time maybe he jaws with the wrestlers. He's coming down to the ring, that kind of stuff. <laughs> a second wrestler makes an appearance. Kevin Nash, Diesel, the second member of the clique that was leaving mm-hmm. during the curtain call. Yep. On June 10th of 1996, he joins Scott Hall on WCW programming and they get a name for these two guys. The announce team starts calling them the Outsiders. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Because they're kind of, they're not part of the WCW organization. Uh-huh. They're outsider right. wrestlers from another organization who's bringing war to us. That's how this was all promoted. WWF is trying to take over our show. Oh my God. <laughs> these two guys are going to ruin everything. Get them out of here. Call security. You know, all this kind of craziness. By the way, whenever you see security on a wrestling show, it's always wrestlers who are in training in security guard outfits. They're just guys oh, yeah. who aren't on TV sure. because they're just being trained as wrestlers. <laughs> so Kevin Nash and Scott Hall start making all these crazy appearances on Monday Night Nitro. They also, coming close to July, start making mentions of a third member. Mm. And everybody's like, who's this third person going to be? Because <laughs> remember the click, the curtain call, that thing had already happened. We knew it was only two. Mm-hmm. Who's the mm-hmm. third person? What's going to happen? So John, here in Florida, there's a lot of wrestling. You know this because you grew mm-hmm. up in Central Florida. That's right. Well, there was an event July 7th, 1996 called Bash at the Beach. I believe it was at Daytona. Okay. In this event, it was one of the pay-per-views. I mentioned that they have monthly pay-per-views. They had this big match coming up where it was going to be Scott Hall and Kevin Nash wrestling against three WCW 
WCW wrestlers in a handicap match, but they kept saying, don't worry, our third guy will be there. Okay. No. So, so these outsiders from the WWF are fighting some of their stars at this match. Mm -hmm. Okay. At the beginning of the match, one of the three WCW guys gets taken out right away. He gets shipped to the back. He gets knocked unconscious, quote unquote, and he's out of the match. So now it's a two on two match and everybody's like, okay, great. And they're wrestling, wrestling and wrestling. At the end, of course, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, they start cheating to get over on Macho Man Randy <laughs> Savage. You guys might remember him from the Slim oh, yeah. Jim oh, commercials. Yeah. Him I know. Yes. Hit that name I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Macho Man is, you know, he's trying to wage this battle against these two guys who are cheating all the time. Well, at the time, a wrestler who had already come over to WCW long before the Monday Night War stuff started was Hulk Hogan. His contract had ended in WWF. He was kind of broken down. His back had a lot of problems, but he had come over to WCW just as a regular thing. It wasn't part of the storyline of the Monday Night Wars. He's a good guy because he's Hulk Hogan. We all know. Say your prayers, eat your Mm -hmm. vitamins, right? Mm -hmm. He's Mr. Red and Yellow and Hulkamania is going to run wild on you. (laughs) (laughs) So he comes running down to help out his buddy, Macho Man Randy Savage, right? Uh Because Savage is getting his ass whipped in the middle of this ring by Kevin Nash Scott Hall. He runs down to the ring. He gets in between Macho Man, who's on the ground basically at this point, and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, and he's staring them down. I'm going to protect my friend. <laughs> Turns around and stomps the livid shit out of Macho Man Randy Savage. What? Oh, he turned. <laughs> this is the beginning of Hollywood Hulk Hogan, and the organization finally gets his name, the NWO. So Hulk Hogan and Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, they put on such a great performance that fans at this event were throwing bottles into the ring. Wow. And hitting people. Gene Okerlund was trying to interview them after the match. Somebody hit him with a beer bottle in the face and broke his nose. This was a really dangerous event. That's how emotional the fans got at what they just saw. Yeah, they're into it. They're they're, they're buying into it. For 15 years was the good guy. Yeah, yeah. Even though you know it's scripted and it's, you know, Mm -hmm. fake. I'm using air quotes. It's not really fake. You're emotionally involved and you have wrecked my world. You know, you're mad. Something's, (laughs) I get it. And there's a large part of the fan base at that time that still wants to believe it's not scripted, that wants to believe it's real and on the level. Uh, He does this thing that becomes their signature for the NWO for months and years to come. As Macho Man is laying face down on the mat, he gets a black can of spray paint out and spray paints NWO on his back. Just a further point of humiliation for the character, right? (laughs) Exactly. And that's where the phrase gets originated, NWO for life, where they do the little four fingers and Uh the L symbol. That becomes a thing. They have the t-shirts after this. They get the hats and the buttons. And it's like a counterculture anti-hero kind of thing. Like half the wrestling fans still love the WCW True and Faithful, the Stings and the Lex Lugers and the Ric Flairs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the other half really love the NWO with (laughs) Hollywood Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. It was huge. From that point, this is in July 7th, 96, the WCW goes on a ratings run of 84 weeks in a row. It's understandable. I mean, it sounds like they're on top of their game and the WWF is just bleeding. They are. That's what I hear. They're just getting hammered. They bring in more WWF talent. Do you guys remember hearing in the 80s a wrestler named the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase? Ted DiBiase. Yes. Yes, Ted DiBiase. He crosses over. He becomes the financial on-screen guru for the NWO. 
Sure, right. Uh, yep. They bring over a character who you guys probably won't remember from wrestling. Uh, he was called the one, two, three kid in WWF. He becomes six Pac in the uh, <laughs> WCW. Okay. The only way you'll remember him, do you remember the female wrestler China? Yes. Yep. Right. And she had the adult video sex tape thing that came out. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was the guy in the video because they were oh, a girlfriend oh, okay. at the time. That's his. Gotcha. Other than wrestling, that's his only claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear over at GenXGrownUp.com. It's a day for giving. I'm going to get me some. A day for sharing. The Austin 316 says I just ripped your... A time to tell that special someone how you really feel. I hate Austin! Vince McMahon, I know you hate my guts, and I feel the same way about you. Austin McMahon, a steel cage. WWF St. Valentine's Day Massacre, live on pay-per-view. They start bringing over all these WWF people and the lines start getting drawn within the story characters in WCW. WCW wrestlers start getting recruited by the NWO and start becoming part of that organization. Professional athletes from outside wrestling start appearing on the show. You guys have heard of Dennis Rodman, the basketball player. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He becomes yeah. a huge part along with Carl Malone, the other basketball, the basketball player from player. the yeah. Dream uh-huh. Team. Yeah. Yep, yep. They yep. both come into this wrestling organization and they are on opposite sides. Dennis Rodman, of course, is on the NWO side. Carl Malone is on the <laughs> WCW faithful side and they actually have matches during this stuff. Uh, there are crazy events that keep happening, but there's one thing that happens behind the scenes and it's kind of a, I want to say it's foreshadowing. So the WWF very early on decides, let's go the legal route and try and get this shit stopped. So they sue WCW for copyright infringement, saying the NWO is like some stuff from their thing. And Scott Hall specifically is basically just redoing his character of Razor Ramon, which they own the rights to. WCW's argument in court is he explicitly states on the very first show, he is not Razor Ramon. His real name is Scott Hall and he hates the WWF. Therefore, he cannot be doing the Razor Ramon uh, gimmick. So this lawsuit takes about a year to go through all the, you know, motions and getting court dates and all that stuff. At the end, the WWF withdraws their lawsuit with one addendum that they get. And that is that if the WCW ever falls into bankruptcy or receivership, the WWF Mm. has the right to buy all their assets. Okay. All right. So if the WCW ever goes down, the WWF are allowed to purchase it. That seems like not a big risk because the yeah, WCW so look well, like right? they are running the table at this moment, right? So it, it's... it does. <laughs> it does. However, like I said, it's foreshadowing. We're going to talk about it in the next segment a little bit later, but we've got a couple of more major events in the war. The first thing 
is WWF finally decides at the end of 1996 in November to change the style of their program. Previous to this, they had basically been PG-13 at the most. That was their whole thing, you know. Everything's mm-hmm. pretty clean cut. Yeah, we have wrestlers getting mad on screen and beating each other up, but there's no untoward stuff going on our screen. Well, November 4th of 1996, the Attitude Era begins in my mind. Now, some people that say it's another era. event later on, but I say this is the event that starts it. So the Attitude Era is what is generally thought of as WCW's going to an R rating format almost on national TV. Mm-hmm. They have two guys who had previously, their characters had been friends, Steve Austin, you guys know him as Stone mm-hmm. Cold. Yep, yep, yep. And Brian Pillman, who in the WCW days before he moved to WWF had been known as Flying Brian Pillman. He was a face guy. Steve Austin was kind of a face guy. He was part of a group back then called the Hollywood Blondes even. I mean, just this weird <laughs> stuff going on. Anyway, these two guys had been friends on screen. They had started a rivalry, though, where they had now started to hate each other. Brian Pillman lives in Kentucky at the time. The WWF decides to film a segment where Stone Cold which he's not really known as Stone Cold, but anyway, uh, he threatens <laughs> to come to Pillman's house to kill him and his family. Ooh. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's not that's cool. Up a little bit. Brian Pillman <laughs> has some of his quote-unquote family friends there to protect him and his family. During this broadcast... Austin gets there. There's big fights ensues. A gun is pulled. The screen goes dark. You hear pops. Vince McMahon, who's announcing it, is saying, oh my God, what's going on? The next time the screen comes on, Brian Pillman is dragging uh, Steve Austin's body out of his house saying, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to fucking kill him. He's cussing. There's guns. And then the show ends. (laughs) (laughs) Well, nobody's thinking like, well, how are there cameras at his house? How did we get that shot? You know? It's like, why was he mic'd, right? So you don't think yeah. about those things. You <laughs> just exactly. think, oh, it's drama. Yeah. It was very guerrilla filmed, you know, with like almost, it felt Shaky like cam. those those cams that you would have on your shoulder, the old Sony yeah, yeah, cam yeah. thing or something. Yep. But it obviously grabbed everyone's attention and people started watching WWF more. It went so far that the USA Network made Steve Austin and Brian Pillman apologize because this was something they had never had on their network. And they did. And the war starts to go back and forth at this point. Well, then about a year later, about 10 months later, there is another wrestler whose contract is up. Now, you guys remember earlier, I mentioned a WrestleMania match between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Bret Hart has become the face of the WWF. He's the world champion. He's the big name. Everybody's gunning for him. He's got his Hart family around him, you know, with cousins and brothers and whatnot. His contract runs out. He is willing to leave the WWF the right way by dropping the title to Shawn Michaels. Okay. Because it's a tradition that when you're leaving a company, if you have a title when you're leaving the company, you're willing to lose that title to the next guy and give him what they call a push, give him, you know, promotion mm-hmm. by yep. letting him beat you. And then you move on to your new job and he gets to be the next guy up, right? Okay. That's just kind of a tradition of respect among the wrestlers. Bret Hart, though, had an addendum to his dropping the title. He did not want to do it at this pay-per-view that they were doing in uh, September of 97. Which is the best place to do it, to get the publicity, obviously. Well, the reason why he didn't want to do it, it was in Montreal. Bret Hart is from Canada. He okay. is a super, hugely popular figure at this time in Canada. He uh, is he didn't want to lose it home. to the Canadians. Yep, yep. He didn't want to do that in front of his ultra home, fan home crowd. crowd, right? Right. Yep. So he says, hey, I'll do it the next night, you know, on Monday Night Raw when we're somewhere else or whatever. Doesn't want to do it there. Vince McMahon is pissed because he wants this title dropped on a pay-per-view because it's a bigger mm-hmm. event. 
event. It's got more notoriety. He wants it dropped on Mm -hmm. a pay-per-view. Sure. So Vince McMahon conspires with the referee at the time of the match and Shawn Michaels to screw Bret Hart. And this is called the Montreal screw job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, these events have little nicknames that people know them by. Right. But this is like the long con. Oh, I'm going to pull a long order on it. And, you know, it's it's like Ocean's Eleven or something. It was decided within a week and a half. And it was at the event that Vince McMahon went to the referee and Shawn Michaels. Vince McMahon Mm. came up with the idea on his own because Bret Hart, he kept trying to talk Bret Hart in. Please drop the title. Please drop. I'm not dropping the title in Canada. I won't drop the title in Canada. All right. So how do they screw him over? How did they do it? So what they did was Bret Hart has a move called the sharpshooter, right? It's this move where he takes and he steps in between your legs, crosses your legs over, and then flips you onto your stomach while your legs are bent backwards over your back. Okay. Ouch. In wrestling, wrestlers (laughs) always have a finishing maneuver that's their own. Nobody else really does their finishing maneuver, only they do it. So Vince McMahon goes to the referee and he goes to Shawn Michaels before the match, like with 30 minutes before the match. The pay-per-view is going on. Things are happening. And he walks, he gets them both in an office. He says, listen, we're going to take this title from Bret Hart in front of everybody right here. Here's what you're going to do. There's a point in the match that Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels had already agreed upon that when Bret Hart had Shawn Michaels in his sharpshooter maneuver, Shawn Michaels would reverse it into his own sharpshooter for a few seconds. And then Bret Hart would wiggle out of it, beat up Shawn Michaels some more, and then win the match with another sharpshooter. Okay. Fine, easy ending. We see it all the time. What he tells the referee and Shawn Michaels is when Shawn, when you reverse into the sharpshooter, referee, count one, two, three really quick. Oh, oh make it over right there. Make it over right there. Pretend that Bret Hart yeah. gave up in his own finishing maneuver and grab the belt <laughs> and run. Do not stay in the ring. Oh, jeez. And that's exactly what they do. Bret Hart loses his mind on the pay-per-view. Vince McMahon is standing at the ringside. Bret Hart spits in his face on TV. Literally spits in his face. (laughs) Yeah. He won't leave the ring. Fans are losing their minds because this is in Canada. Right. And everybody knows Bret Hart just got screwed. Now, there have been documentaries on this event (laughs) since then where the people have told Told their stories. There's been Beyond the Mat. There was another WWF produced one with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels talking and finally burying the hatchet about this event years later. At the post show in the back, Bret Hart goes into a room where it's just he and Vince McMahon. To this day, Vince McMahon denies this. Bret Hart claims that he punches Vince McMahon in the face. Vince McMahon has been shown with a black eye after this event. So Bret Hart's version sounds likely, but (laughs) (laughs) wow, this one is really a huge event because remember the whole point of this is Bret Hart is leaving WWF to go to WCW, but it's a major feather in the cap of WWF because controversy sells and it grabs more eyes for the WWF. Hmm. Jeez. And and do do you think any of that was, I mean, that was planned, but you think that Hart was not actually in on it because he was genuinely angry. He wasn't just acting angry. Yeah, all parties have stated Bret Hart was not in on it. Not in on it. Okay. And they seem genuine in their different interviews. Their stories have never changed. And an audience would tend to think maybe he is because so many other things are staged. That's to say, like like that line, like what's real, what's not. The line is blurred. blurred. Yeah, the line's really blurred. This is the era where the line is being blurred in most part because WCW is trying to blur that line to drive their whole NWO storyline. 
timeline. Mm-hmm. This is all mm-hmm. real. Right. None of this part is staged. Yes, some of this stuff is staged, but this is real now. Oh my God. <laughs> right. So Which fans is, are starting it? to get more comfortable with that blurred line that you're talking about. Now, here's another smaller event, but to me, it's extremely important because I've only seen this done in sports two times. This is the only time where it happened on the same calendar day. The other time it happened in the same 24 hours. Do you guys remember an event in sports way back in the day where a player named Deion Sanders, FSU oh, yeah. alumnus, yeah, yeah. he was playing football and baseball at the time, right. and he played in both of them. Deion right. does this, the whole Nike baseball commercial Baseball game thing. and mm-hmm. a football game in the same 24 yep. hours. Yeah, I remember that. Right? Okay. He yep. flew on a jet and played in both games. There was another guy who was actually on both wrestling shows on the same day. Okay. <laughs> He's on WCW and WBF. He was. His both name shows. is Rick Rude. This guy is one of my favorite wrestlers from back in the day. He died way too young, but he was one of these guys who he was cut and chiseled, but he wasn't bulky like a big power lifter guy. He was just a specimen. His whole character persona was he was the body that all women wanted, all men hated. You know, he was smarmy. <laughs> he was disgusting, but he was awesome. Rick Rude <laughs> films an episode of WWF Monday Night Raw without a contract. He's on a per show basis contract at this point because okay, they don't really sure. know what to do with him. That happens in wrestling sometimes where guys just get paid by the event. If we use you on this show, we'll pay you $500 or $1,000, whatever it is. Right? Okay. But we're not going to give you a contract. Well, because he doesn't have a contract, there's no no compete clause term. He can do what he wants. Right? Sure. Yeah. He can do what he wants at any time. So six days prior, he films the WWF episode in a full beard and his costume and everything. Six days later, he appears on Monday Nitro clean shaven in a suit, <laughs> which is never done in his character before. And he's just trashing the WWF left, right, and center, just uh. like they do every time they bring a guy over from WWF. People were losing it because he's on both shows at the same time. They even timed the segments to almost overlap because remember Monday Night Nitro is live. Oh, so not just on the same day. You're you're saying that they're they're both like on the air at the same time. Yes. Oh, I see. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that was a significant event in the Monday Night Wars because it showed just how far and what these promoters were thinking about to try and one up each other. This is really one of Mm -hmm. the keystone moments, in my opinion, of the Monday at war because these two guys hated each other so much. Eric Bischoff with Ted Turner hated Vince McMahon so much that they were doing anything they could to win these ratings wars because they their goal was to drive the WWF out of business. That was their sure. whole goal. Yeah. They yep. wanted to take the whole pie. And I think that had the next thing not happened in that same year, they maybe could have gotten away with it. But near the end of 97, well, kind of throughout 97, Stone Cold, The Rock, Degeneration X, which reforms with new people, including the New Age Outlaws, and Mr. McMahon all develop these completely engrossing characters that have driven all these people to stardom today. The Rock, we all know. Right. You guys, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, his yeah, movies, Dwayne, right? Dwayne, the rock. Sure. That wasn't his original character name. His original character name was Rocky Mayavia and he was a face. Okay. And he was a good guy during this attitude era. He formed a group with some other wrestlers called the nation of domination. And it was a black power <laughs> movement organization. <laughs> and he changed name. his name to the rock. He became an anti-establishment character. He developed mm. his catchphrases, know your role, shut your mouth. You know, it doesn't matter <laughs> what you say or you know, all these catchphrases that 
that he becomes known for later. Stone Cold becomes Stone Cold during this era when he wins the King of the Ring tournament. Okay. The Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass phrase is first used during this time period. The D-Generation X that was super popular already, they kind of reformed because remember the Click members had left and now it's Shawn Michaels and Triple H along with China. Rick Rude is left. He was an original founding member of that group. They have a new tag team join him called the New Age Outlaws. You two know the New Age Outlaws and don't even realize it. Okay. It's where I got my original game segment intro from. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of oh, all that ages. Oh, is that from that is? That's from <laughs> okay. them. These oh. two guys would open their matches with that kind of a phrase oh. all the time. So this is all the WWF. This is like Vince McMahon stepping up the showmanship of the WWF to make it more entertainment wrestling. Is yeah, that right? Exactly. Okay. And they finally were able to realize they got a couple of new creative people in there, Vince Russo and some other guys in creative who started to write these more uh, controversial storylines. They were no longer the Hulk Hogan cartoon era. They were now the attitude era. And there's this sense that throughout 97, this is building and it really takes hold on April 13th of 1998, just a few months later, when Raw beats Nitro for the first time in a long time and the ratings start to flip. Oh, so CW is going so well for so long. So but- for two or three years, WCW oh. on top. 84 weeks in a row, right? Mm, All yeah. these things start to change and flip as it often happens in the wrestling world. And WWF starts to really dig in, take over, and we start to see what is unfortunately the fall of WCW, which we'll talk about right after mm. this. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on! If you're a diehard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. July 23, Raw starts one hour earlier. Tell Auto Boys, Raw starts at 8. Everybody needs to bring a date. Who says I need to lose weight? They say we're supposed to hydrate. I think he said meet us at the gate. Who you calling the cheapskate? I have to bake a cake. What kind of cake? Ooh. Oh, I don't want to go to Kuwait. Hey, boss, got your message. It's kind of easier to check your prostate. The biggest night on TV is getting bigger. Raw is now three hours every Monday at 8, starting July 23rd on USA. Characters welcome. We're at the point now, George, where you've explained how there was this rivalry that was set up and then WCW actually gets the upper hand and they're actually stealing talent away. But then the WWF is not given up. They start to kind of claw back and it seems like a, a lot of this bad blood is starting to boil over to the point that there's going to be a victor and maybe it wasn't who you thought it was mid-90s. Yeah, uh, definitely. And the fall, oddly enough, comes from not only the people in charge of the organizations, but the 
the wrestlers themselves. You'll understand when I talk about the next couple of things. And I'm going to try and wrap this up fast because I know that we have been going on for a long time. I told John and Mo early on that this could be like a three or four part <laughs> podcast run. But it's cool, man. So in April 27th, 1998, this is the day that WCW blinked in the Monday Night Wrestling Wars. So remember I told you there were the two main groups of the click. There was Degeneration X, which was in WWF, and there was NWO, mm-hmm. which was in WCW. Right. Well, on that date, both organizations were in the same city promoting live shows on Monday night that time. They were separated in their venues by a few miles. Wasn't a lot. Well, Triple H and Shawn Michaels and the rest of the Degeneration X crew somehow get Vince McMahon to okay them renting out a tank. <laughs> army tank. They drive this army tank down the streets of the city to the WCW event, to the loading dock, you know, where you drive the big semi trucks and all that kind of stuff at a big uh, building. And they start with bullhorns and the tank and all this stuff. They start calling out the WCW wrestlers. If you guys think you're better than us, come out and fight. All this kind of stuff. Jeez. They walk down to those doors and start beating (laughs) on them and banging them. Meanwhile, the WCW show is going on at the same time, live on the air. (laughs) It's a live show? And their show is also now live. And they are calling these WCW guys out. And Eric Bischoff and the WCW creative team tells the wrestlers, don't go out there. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's why everybody says WCW blinked, because it was like they were admitting on air that their guys couldn't beat up the WWE. WWF uh, guys. The WWF guys were better. Realistically, he was not playing into the shenanigans, but right. the, 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 way the optics of this is that, oh, you're chicken. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what uh, fans loved. I'm still trying uh, to get my head around the fact that you could rent a tank. I don't know how they got it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was awesome. There have been days I would like to rent a tank. Right? Yeah, yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> and during that same time period, from June of 97 to December of 98, but John knows him. Goldberg. Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, we so talked about Bill the beginning. Goldberg yeah. goes on what's called the streak. And the only reason why I'm bringing it up is because he wins, depending upon who you talk to, somewhere between 160 and 170 or 80 matches in a row. Okay. He's just, like I said earlier, he's decimating people, Mike Tyson style. He's a machine. Yeah, he's just he's beating, crazy. Whether you're a big wrestling star or the jobber who's like the guy that loses to everybody, he's mm-hmm. beating them all. Doesn't matter. He's the champion. At one point, he's a two-title champion, one of the first in history, where he's both the world champion and the U.S. champion at the same time. Well, in January of 1999, shortly after his streak stuff is kind of ending, he's still a major player in WCW. Mm -hmm. There is supposed to be a match between Goldberg and Kevin Nash for the title. I believe Kevin Nash held the title at the time, if I remember correctly. They beat the hell out of Goldberg before the match and take him away in an ambulance. And, you know, he's (laughs) undergoing CT scans and he might have a concussion and all like that. So at the time, the NWO has fractured. There are two different organizations, one led by Kevin Nash and his group, another led by Hollywood Hulk Hogan and his group. So Hollywood (laughs) Hulk Hogan agrees to step in Goldberg's place and fight Kevin Nash for the title. Oh, in his behalf, like on his. Well, just like he's going to because they got 
to have a title their, match. Oh, he's got to have a match. So he's I'll, do, I'll, I'll fight the match. I got so it. Like, there's not fighting he, on his behalf, but in. stepping into his... Yeah, got yeah. It. Not on Goldberg's behalf. Like, if he wins it, he's got not going to give the title to Goldberg. So okay, okay. he goes into the match. He and Kevin Nash are nose-to-nose, jawing in the ring at the start of the match. And Hulk Hogan pokes Kevin Nash in the chest, and Kevin Nash flops down and lets Hulk Hogan cover him for the one, two, three. And that's the end of the pay-per-view. <sighs> huh? It has since then become known as the finger poke of doom. <laughs> <laughs> Because fans were so pissed Hell yeah. that they had spent all this money for a Goldberg-Kevin Nash match, and it was this huge event, and everybody was ready for this thing because the storyline had been built up so well. And what do we end up getting? One guy flopping down for another, and they're buddies again. That almost sounds like fraud. <laughs> well, it was a little well, yeah. bit. Well, yeah. People felt cheated, I'm sure. It was kind of a thing where people felt ripped off. People were getting sure. tired of these yep. last minute storyline changes at this point. You got to realize it's been going on since 95, right? Mm-hmm. People were not as enamored with the sudden change like that they were mm-hmm. seeing. And this one felt cheap, right? Yeah. It oh, it absolutely. didn't feel like it was advancing a storyline at all. It just felt like a cheap way out. Like the creative people, and I mentioned earlier that the wrestlers themselves, this idea was all Hollywood Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash. They talked, they had a lot of power with the booking committee because they were the biggest stars and they mm-hmm. made the booking committee write the match this way. Goldberg really didn't want it to be this way. So Jeez. that event is called the Finger Poke of Doom. There was another event on that same pay-per-view, on that same Monday Nitro, I should say, that really changed the ratings. And I've labeled this one as Mama Foley's Baby Boy does good. Okay. (laughs) Mick Foley, better known as Mankind or Cactus Jack, the hardcore legend, is a person who we haven't really talked about during the Monday Night Wars yet. He was Mm -hmm. a big figure in WWF at the time as a character named Mankind, who was like this character who would live in a boiler room and he had this leather face mask and he was half crazy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like a a leather face guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He had like, he would wear this thing on his two main fingers on his hand and he would choke you out with that. The mandible claw, it was called. (laughs) On that show, they had found out, WCW had found out that WWF was going to let Mankind, Mick Foley, win the world title. Nobody thought this guy would ever win a world title. This guy has the body figure that I do. He's like six foot tall, 300 (laughs) pounds, looks like a pear. He's not the chiseled cut wrestling guy, right? Mm -hmm, Right. So Eric Bischoff has one of his announcers say this phrase on their show. Fans, if you're even thinking about changing the channel to our competition, do not. We understand that Mick Foley, who wrestled here at one time as Cactus Jack, is going to win their world title. Ha! That's going to put oh, some butts no. in the seats. Heh. He blew up the result of the match on the so competition. He it again. On, a, on a world championship match. Not only did it blow up the results, <sighs> it was for the world title, as Mo says. It's also, he's denigrating a wrestler and a character that Eric Bischoff never gave enough credit to, but fans dearly loved. So okay. during that segment, fans immediately switched over to WWF in droves. Oh, to see that. To oh. see that happen. So th- did this backfire? Like it he said, don't completely. bother going. We're going to ruin this. You're not going to go. And instead they're like, well, I want to see that. They left anyway. Oh, this no. and the ah, finger ah. poke of doom happening at this event are the two main events that people say are the main reasons why WCW fell. That's not true. There was a lot of financial so they stuff the shark, behind the scenes. I imagine, a lot yeah. of stuff going on. But they did jump the shark. The ratings are really 
interesting. For that whole segment, everybody's watching WWF Raw. WCW Nitro is five minutes longer than Raw at the time. So as soon as Raw ended, all the fans came back and watched the last five minutes of Nitro. So (laughs) there was a very like solid evidence of how this thing backfired to this day. And it's it just goes to show that these people had stopped listening to the fans and they had started only listening to their own egos, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. They were Mm -hmm. in their own head. We're the king of the world. We're going to do whatever we want and they're going to watch it. We're going to blow up somebody else's shit and Mm -hmm. it backfired and maybe put the nail in their coffin. It did. So WCW just starts flailing around trying to figure out different stuff. John and Mo, we've talked behind the scenes oftentimes about let's not make big corrections because of one thing. Let's take our time and see, do a small change here and there. Mm -hmm. WCW goes the panic route. They start changing the people on their creative team left and right. Every six months, it's a new group of people writing the show. They start Mm -hmm. doing these weird music things where they have Master P, who's a rap guy at the time, bringing in all these musical acts to perform on the show. So it's no longer just a wrestling show. Now there's concerts being held. Uh, The Nitro Girls, who were a popular little dance troupe at the time that would entertain the fans in between wrestling matches Mm -hmm. and got popular on the TV because they were very pretty and had these cool little Laker girl dance routine things. Uh, They started involving them in storylines. None of them were wrestlers. Some of them became married to wrestlers later on. Yeah, but they weren't, that wasn't their thing. Um, So Mm -hmm. they just start doing all this kind of stuff and you can see the ship starting to sink. In early 2000, January 31st, four men who had really been holding up that sinking ship left the WCW and went to WWF. This is one of the first major defections going the other way. That was really big news. Uh, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn, and the inf- the now infamous Chris Benoit. Oh, I know that name. Don't, yep. yeah, I don't know that one. So they all leave WCW at one time and they go over to WWF as a group called the Radicals. They are these mid-tier guys on WCW program. They're smaller. They're, you know, between like five foot four and five foot 10, 200 pounds, smaller guys, right? They form that kind of small group in WCW of the smaller wrestlers. They go over to WWF and WWF promotes them to the moon and the defection and everything else. And Mm. they just give WWF an even larger rating boost because again, like Mick Foley, these are wrestlers that the fans love. These are guys that the fans Mm. respect. Fan favorites kind of thing. The fan favorites. Yeah. You can see the tide really turning back to WWF now. Absolutely. And they have that clause coming that if they fail, they can just suck them up, yes, right? Yes, I'm wondering. Yeah, is that coming into play? Oh, no. See, foreshadowing. That's what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> so at the same time, also, there's some major happenings in the business world. We all know that Ted Turner had sold his stations to Time Warner, right? So TNT, mm-hmm. TBS, CNN, all that stuff's a Time Warner property. Well, January of 2001, AOL buys Time Warner. Oh, geez. Okay. Right? We all know the debacle that that merger was in the IT sector. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. What a lot of people outside of wrestling don't realize is AOL and Time Warner hated WCW. They could not stand it. They wanted it <laughs> oh, off no. the air. They didn't like the type of programming it was and all the crazy stuff that oh, was going geez. on. Even though Thunder, I think their Thursday night show, was still the highest rated show on the, one of their channels, TBS or TNT, oh, yeah. whichever one it was on. If time. your parent company doesn't like what you're doing, you're destined for failure because every opportunity that they can, they're going to go, uh-huh, there's why we don't like you and there's another reason to get rid of you. So that along with people jumping ship to the other organization, advertising dollars going away, it just over the next couple of months fell apart really quickly. And on March the 26th of 2001, we have the final Monday Night Nitro. John, this Nitro Mm -hmm. was held in Panama City Beach. (laughs) 
Oh, was it? Florida, yep. <laughs> it was yeah. on the beach. It was a thing where everybody knew it was happening. Everybody knew WCW was out of business at this point, and nobody knew what was really going to happen other than it was going to be the final show. On this show, okay. Booker T, who was a very popular wrestler at the time, became the five-time world champion. So he was the final world champion of WCW. Okay. There was a final match between two of the biggest names in WCW history, Ric Flair and Sting. Oh, they yeah. had this yeah. final match that was kind of, uh, it was like a nice bookend because they had one of the first matches on the first okay. Monday Night Nitro. Sure. They hugged it out in the ring afterwards and everybody <laughs> was clapping and applauding. It was a fan appreciation night. Like they were showing love to the fans, essentially. Also, WWF Raw is happening at the same time. At the end of their show, the Mm -hmm. WCW feed switches over to Raw. And Vince McMahon starts spouting, a McMahon has bought WCW. Oh, wow. That was the foreshadowing I was talking about. They did purchase WCW before this final Nitro. Wow. Then the feed breaks. And in Panama City Beach on the WCW cameras, Vince's son Shane McMahon comes on screen and says, you're right. Right, Dad, a McMahon did buy WCW, but it's not your name on the contract. It's mine. <laughs> oh, jeez. And that starts what is now known as the WCW invasion storyline in WWF, which floundered and <laughs> crapped out, names. lasted less than a year. It was terrible. <laughs> but that was the end of the Monday Night Wrestling Wars. From that point forward, mm. you had no more WCW. Other organizations had also folded like ECW, which were popular during that run. But the big two had finally ended their war. And the WWF had won. Mm, holy cow. By then, had they renamed to WWE? Had that happened? Or is that a bit later? That, that was a little, little bit later. A little okay. bit later. Okay. Yeah, I had, think. They'd already conglomerated all this stuff. I, you know, honestly, I can't remember. It's all these facts okay. run together. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, clearly, you don't know much about wrestling, George, if you don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> so in the final tally, everybody kind of wants to know what the score was at the end of the sporting event, right? So in this case, we look at the ratings and who won each rating night. Monday Night Raw won 154 nights. WCW Nitro won 112 nights in the war. And there were actually four ties, believe it or not. Wow. That's not very lopsided. I mean, clearly it's, it's, it's on the favor of WWF. Yeah. It's not crazy lopsided. Well, they had that huge run in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. These are like 84 weeks in a row. Yeah, they true. did well. And wow. Crazy. Damn. So it's my favorite time of wrestling. It was when I was <laughs> I coming into why. my college age years, you know, and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my mid twenties and I was able to understand the behind the scenes stuff of wrestling as well as the on camera stuff and understand how those two things went together. I had gone to many events. I had a friend who his, uh, one of his uh, cousins was married to Ric Flair at the time. So we got to go backstage <laughs> all the time. And oh, nice. cool. we got to have Very meals cool. with the wrestlers and stuff. So I was, I wasn't, I'm not going to, I wasn't on an inner circle thing at all, but it was nice to get to see that backstage perspective. You had a little access, which was cool. Access. Yeah. It was fun. Very but cool. the Monday night wrestling wars were by far the best wrestling has ever been before or since, in my opinion, there was some great wrestling before that. And there's been some great wrestling after that, but you don't get better from my opinion, my dollar than the Monday night wrestling wars. Well, there's a a story. There's stuff going on on screen, yeah, behind story. the screen. Holy shit. Shenanigans. There's, yeah. <laughs> wow. No, this is great, George. Mm, that's, that's deep. All right. The yeah. Monday Night Wrestling Wars. See, that's mm-hmm. It's all stuff I didn't have knowledge of. Like I saw it Me as either. an outsider. The stuff was going on. I didn't know the drama, but I clearly knew people were upset and I didn't understand the, the division between the WCW and WWF and that kind of thing. And
and why it was like that. So very interesting stuff. And there's history in the background that uh, of there's business going on, there's yeah. entertainment going on, there's acting going on, there's athletics going on, and a bunch of shenanigans. Wow. Crazy. Mm. George, thank you for your expertise. Yes, sir. Yeah. It's time for you I to take a, a breath and get a drink. <laughs> yeah, I do yeah. need some water now. <laughs> and fourth listeners who let us know on Discord, you'd like to hear some wrestling. Fantastic. Here's some wrestling. If you enjoy there you it, go. let us know. More yeah. than you ever wanted. Yeah. There you go. Is it, we can break it down into more granular stuff based on your interest. You always, we listen to fourth listeners right in and let us know what you want to hear. Oh, for sure. That's going to wrap it up for this one. Man, this is a marathon. Thank you again, George. Yeah. Yes, sir. We'll be back in two weeks with another backtrack just like this one and another regular edition of our show is coming your way next Thursday. Until then, I am John. George, thank you so much for your knowledge and your time. Yes, sir. Mo, thank you for being here. Uh, that's all I was. Great job, George. <laughs> <laughs> Fourth listeners, it is you, though, we appreciate most of all, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. JetX Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Unacceptable for grown-ups. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. I feel like I'm listening to a documentary. <laughs> I'll try and run through this one quickly. I apologize. I didn't even look at the time. That's right. Just yeah, go. you're right. It's do our best. Okay. <laughs> and next week in part three of the movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.